0: Hey, it's Gina. I'm off on a little family vacation, and I'll be back in time to have a brand new Kansas City story in your Real Humans podcast feed next Sunday. On this episode, I'm giving you a taste of Hungry for Mo, another podcast from KCUR Studios telling food stories from the state of Missouri. It's hosted by two awesome ladies in the Kansas City food scene, Jenny Vergara and Natasha Bailey. In the story you're about to hear, Jenny introduces us to the St. Paul sandwich. And I just want to say, I have lived in Missouri most of my life, and I've never heard of this sandwich before because they serve it in St. Louis, not Kansas City. But now I'm obsessed. Anyway, here's Jenny with Hungry for Mo. So
1: in St. Louis, Missouri, there's this sandwich. It's got kind of a cult following. And if you're from St. Louis, you probably already definitely know what I'm talking about. It's called the St. Paul sandwich. And it's kind of reminiscent of egg foo young, the popular Chinese American dish. Basically, an egg foo young patty is fried and cooked in oil until it's golden brown on the outside and soft and pillowy on the inside. And then it's placed between two pieces of bread. Okay, so tell me exactly what is on the St. Paul sandwich. So it's just the egg foo young patty. And then is it white bread? Always white bread?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's the whitest white bread you can get, whether it's Wonder Bread or Bunny Bread or...
1: Kui Tran from Miley in St. Louis makes this on a regular basis. And soft, right? Not toasted, not just soft. Soft, like not toasted, soft. It's then slathered with mayo, topped with lettuce, tomato, and maybe a little dill pickle. And this, my friends, is where the sandwich throws me for a loop. Toasted white bread I could get with, but soft, squishy white bread with a steaming hot omelet in between? Sounds like a recipe for a soggy mess. And yet somehow it works, and has for many decades now.
2: You know, I've seen people add cheese. (laughs) So I've seen people add a slice of cheese on top, you know, and uh, a Kraft singles piece of cheese. Nice,
1: of course it's a Kraft single.
2: That's the only high-end thing to it was craft Singles.
1: So there is no such thing as like a $10 St. Paul sandwich that's been gourmet up.
2: I mean, I can definitely make it. You know, we can <laughs> shake truffles on it. We can you know, get the Miberical ham.
1: Is there a certain time of day or day part that you're eating a St. Paul sandwich? So is it a breakfast, lunch, dinner, late night? When when, when do you eat a St. Paul in St. Louis? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the short answer is yes, anytime.
2: Anytime.
1: Natasha, what do you know about the St. Paul sandwich? I know that it is quick and easy, messy, but hearty. And when I think about it, I think about um People having a really quick either lunch break or breakfast time to get something to eat. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good point. And it is interesting to me that this sandwich, like, does not appear anywhere else other than St. Louis. I mean, this is kind of one of those sandwiches that sits very neatly inside the borders of St. Louis. You can't really find it anywhere else. Is it is it a sandwich that sounds good to you? Sometimes. Depends on my mood, you know? It's... The soft white bread and the mayo that just like, "Ugh, what? <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's the best part.
1: To me, it sounds like um, hangover. like a hangover cure, this sandwich. Most definitely. Yes. So Natasha, I've been researching this sandwich for a while now, and I'm just going to dive in here. From a personal standpoint, what I love about this sandwich is that it's cheap. You can get a dish of egg foo young, brown gravy and rice, and it'll cost you probably 13 to 15 bucks in a Chinese restaurant in St. Louis. But the St. Paul sandwich is only five to seven dollars. And by design, it's made to order. Literally, every single time you order it, you know it's going to be hot, fresh, and delicious. But just as curious as the sandwich itself is how the sandwich got its name. No one really knows who invented the St. Paul sandwich, even though it's been around for 80 years. But there's two competing theories. Famous foodie James Beard posited that the St. Paul was probably a take on the Denver sandwich, which was the precursor to the Denver omelet, created decades prior by Chinese chefs in cooking and logging camps. But truly, the most popular theory says it was invented in the 40s by the owner of the Park Chop Suey restaurant in St. Louis, Stephen Yen, and named after his hometown of St. Paul, Minnesota. He supposedly created the sandwich as a way to get more American customers into his restaurant at a time when many were very suspicious of Asian cuisine in general. It was a hit, at least in St. Louis. So do you think people in St. Paul, Minnesota know what a St. Paul sandwich is? I guarantee you they don't. (laughs) I don't think they do either. I don't think they do either.
2: Everywhere we've gone, like if somebody mentions a St. Paul sandwich, everybody's like, what's that? You know, it's just like people
1: have no idea. That's chef Cui again, And I should probably mention I sought Cui out specifically to talk about the St. Paul sandwich because his family's been making it for decades. And there's this story that Cui tells that really exemplifies how truly regional this sandwich is. He was cooking dinner at the James Beard House in New York with internationally known French chef Daniel Belude. And Kui invited his friend and restaurateur and St. Louis native, Danny Meyer, owner of Shake Shack, to the party.
2: So I'm, I'm standing there with <laughs> Chef Daniel Balloude and Danny Meyer. And Danny Meyer's like, Chef, have you ever had a St. Paul sandwich?
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Chef Daniel Balloude's like, what
2: is St. Paul's sandwich? You know, and <laughs> Danny's trying to explain this, like, you know, dollar sandwich. And I'm laughing so hard because Daniel Balloude has no idea what the heck's going on? And Danny's like, well, it's an egg patty. It's fried. <laughs> you with, know, was...
1: So does Danny come to you to get his St. Paul sandwich?
2: Well, he says he comes to me because he trusts my place to,
1: <laughs> to make nice. it. My <laughs> nice. yes. It actually makes sense that someone would trust Cui to make this sandwich because he and his family have been doing it since they moved here from Vietnam. Since Cui was a boy, he's been making these sandwiches.
2: We immigrated to the United States in 1980. Uh, we're refugees of war. You know, we actually had a, we opened a chop suey in 1982 uh, in an area called Jennings in St. Louis. And that's kind of where we started making St. Paul's.
1: At that time, there were no Vietnamese restaurants in St. Louis. So Kui's parents decided that it would be safer to just open a Chinese chop suey. Do you know... If you're if someone taught your parents how to make that sandwich or if they just knew they needed to put it on the menu because it was everywhere in St. Louis.
2: Yeah, I mean, like it it was we knew we just need to put on the menu uh, because it was uh, we've seen it at other chop suey's. And so, you know, usually with Asians, it's just kind of like, oh, this
1: works. Let's try it. I want to bring in an expert here to give us just a little bit of Chinese chop suey context.
2: My name is Jennifer Lee, and I am the author of the Fortune Cookie Chronicles and the producer for the documentary, The Search for General So.
1: Jennifer told me that there was a great deal of anti-Chinese racism when Chinese people first started immigrating to the United States in the 1850s. While many white residents unfairly saw Chinese workers as taking jobs away, that hostility and harassment is what actually drove Chinese Americans into becoming entrepreneurs. Many opened laundry businesses or restaurants, things that were seen as women's work at the time. So now we see this proliferation of Chinese-owned restaurants, and a lot of them sold really cheap, fast, and flavorful chop suey, which probably isn't what you think it is.
2: Yeah, so chop suey is I like to say the biggest culinary joke that one culture has played on another. Because chop suey in is zasui, which means kind of odds and ends. So it's like almost if we had a very popular dish in America called like leftovers. And you know, every everyone you know came here from like Japan and said, yeah, you know, I I understand that you have this dish. It's called leftovers. It's very popular, especially after like Thanksgiving.
1: Chinese American food has a history of these kinds of mashup dishes though. Beef and broccoli, general sauce chicken.
2: It tells the story of, you know, immigrants who arrived in a new place and cooked to survive.
1: In the 1980s, Cui's family restaurant started selling simply what they thought people wanted, Chinese food.
2: At that time, you know, my mother figured out, well, we need to, we're going to do Chinese food because that's what's selling. And it didn't go so well, because obviously, how do you break into a market that other people have a hold on? But the great thing about that is it led my mom to be like, well, we're Vietnamese. Why don't we do Vietnamese food? And so in 1985, we started uh, the first Vietnamese restaurant in St. Louis called My Lee's.
1: My Lee gave them an opportunity to expand into their own recipes. As for the St. Paul sandwich, it still lives on their current menu today. So do your parents eat the St. Paul sandwich and do you?
2: You know, it's a funny, that's a funny question because we've, we've made it for so long that we don't eat it normally, but every once in a while we're (laughs) kind of like, Hey, go make a St. Like, you know, usually I'll make a St. Paul and like my dad will be like, Oh, we'll cut half. And then all of a sudden, you know, my sister's working or somebody, they'll be like, oh, can you make another one? Yes. Every once in a while, we definitely crave it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I, I can totally see where, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you don't know that you want a St. Paul sandwich until you see someone else having a St. Paul sandwich. So do you think the St. Paul sandwich is an American dish, a Chinese dish? Like what, how would you, how would you describe it?
2: It's a hundred percent American dish. Because, you know, you got to think, egg foo young an American thing. I mean, I, I, you know, it's all Chinese American uh, food. So uh, St. Paul is definitely an American thing. And that's kind of like the cool thing. I always say that food brings us all together and it doesn't matter if it was made by, a, you know, an Asian gentleman, uh, it's an American thing. It was made here, it has this history. It would have never been created if we were never here.
1: Is this something St. Louis is super proud of? Like, help me understand where the St. Paul sandwich sits in the zeitgeist of St. Paul culinary status.
2: (laughs) Well, I don't know how uh, high end or culinary status the St. Paul is, but it's, it's a guilty pleasure like fried chicken. You know, you're not supposed to eat it every day, but when you do eat it, it's damn good.
0: That was Qui Tran in St. Louis telling Hungry for Moe's Jenny Vergara about the St. Paul sandwich that's apparently super famous in St. Louis. Just a short car ride from KC, which goes to show every place has its secrets, and I love that Hungry for Moe let me in on this one. If you want to hear another story about a Chinese-American dish invented to please a Missouri palate, Go listen to the rest of that episode of Hungry for Moe. You can just look it up wherever you get your podcasts. That episode also tells the story of Springfield-style cashew chicken. Hope you enjoyed this week's listen. I will be back with a whole new episode of Real Humans by Gina Kaufman next Sunday. Take it easy, Casey.
1: Hey there, Suzanne Hogan here, host of A People's History of Kansas City, another podcast from KCUR Studios. If you like this podcast and these stories about amazing Missourians, then you should check out A People's History of Kansas City, particularly the episode all about how Missouri got its name.
0: He said, well, who, who lives up on that river? And they reply, oh, Missouri.
1: It's about the history of the oto Missouri tribe how a storyteller helped keep their fading language alive. Search for A People's History of Kansas City wherever you get your podcasts.